0: everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Ford. This is the only podcast on the planet which is documenting the real story of professional wrestling. And on today's studcast, the stud will finally step into the ring with NWA world champion Terry Funk for a long-awaited championship match. Terry Funk has thrown everything in the book at Ron, including his brother, Dory Funk Jr., a $5,000 bounty, a $10,000 bounty, anything and everything to derail the studs shot at the NWA world championship. Now get ready for 100 years of rich wrestling history as told by the stud. Please welcome the originator of the stud cast and the man who changed the podcasting world with the super stud cast. We step back into the ring and back into time with the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller. And Ron, as this true story goes, you're ready to face one of the greatest of all time. You had to feel like you had truly been through a gauntlet just to get to this match.
1: Yeah. A three-month ride, basically. And it <laughs> wasn't a good and it wasn't a good smooth ride either. You know, yeah, he he'd thrown just about everything but the kitchen sink at me. And uh, and then to it today's, we got the time to get through the entire match. And, uh, with him today, uh, I'm going to get the kitchen sink thrown at me today. So, uh, you know, he's, <laughs> he's going to leave out nothing. So, uh, yeah. And what a great intro, Dave. Thank you very much, man. You kind of ran it all down. I hope a heck I can live up to that today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. hey, listen, you, you've done an amazing job painting this picture up to now. And so today is the day that you're about to step into the ring. So that's pretty awesome. So I'm figuring that we are riding to the arena for this match.
1: Uh, well, we're going to back it up a little further than that, man. I guess we're going, to, we're going to start a little before that ride to the arena. This is going to be an extremely special stud cast today. And uh, it's going to be the, you know, the intro to basically the first great event in southeastern wrestling history which takes place on sunday afternoon october 10th 1976 and southeastern is going to advance from being just a minimally successful tenant in the coliseum to on this day becoming a hugely successful event capable of filling that building so the day it finally arrived as you've been saying here dave The long-awaited NWA World Championship match between the champion Terry Funk and myself. And along with that match is probably the best card yet easily in Southeastern wrestling. And that day and what happens before it and during it and after it is going to be the entire focus of this stud cast. So we're not going to start with me getting in the car and coming down to the building. We're going to back up a little further than that. But uh, there's going to be, in this program, I want to apologize, I want everybody know in advance, there's going to be no today's training in this one. There's no learning tree in this one. Uh, both of those are going to return next week in the regular studcast. So today we're going to look at an entirely different card. Uh, October 10th, 1976. To see the whole card, uh, we're going to include... Uh, one match which has probably never been done before or since in all of wrestling. We're going to talk about the ticket prices and the TV the day before the card. Uh, then we're going to surprise the fans uh, at the event with the results of the matches. Uh, we got a big surprise for the fans at that event, which is really going to really going to rock the fans. They're not expecting this for sure. Then we're going to... Uh, Also, talk about the results of the matches. And then we're going to give the attendance, uh, the number of fans, the dollar amount, and uh, what that dollar figure would be in today's money. Uh, So, you know, we're going to cover pretty much everything. And time permitting, I got to throw that in. Time permitting, we will finish this special stud cast with the results of the NWA World Championship match. Talk about one of the most controversial finishes ever in the World Championship match and find out who is going to be admitted to the hospital for three days when this match is over. Wow. So, so it's, a, it's going to be a long day, uh, you know, so uh, I think I'm just going to go ahead and jump into it, Dave. That's all right, man. Uh, let's get her started because we're going to cover a lot of ground today. We're going to be riding no lightning pretty darn good today because we've got a <laughs> long way to go. So, this day basically had it all. Uh, oddly enough, uh, you know, when we release this stud cast, which uh, it's going to be, this is pretty amazing. It's going to be within two days of exactly forty-four years from this match. Wow, that's just pretty amazing, man. We're almost we're just two days away from being exactly forty-four years uh, when this match occurred in uh, nineteen seventy-six. So uh, let's step back, as you say, Dave, in time and open those Knoxville Coliseum doors and let's dive into everything that happened in that building on October 10th, 1976.
0: Man, for real, this has been a long time coming for Southeastern fans. 44 years ago, as you said. I'm sure the thousands and thousands of Studcast fans listening today are as anxious as those great fans were back then to find out what was going to happen. So we are cinched up tight, and we are ready to ride. How do we get this thing started?
1: Well, let's start with this card, man, on uh, the Sunday afternoon, October 10th, 1976. What a tremendous card this is, I, you know. and I can't hardly uh, overstate that. Uh, the opening match is going to be the newcomer that's just arrived, Don Cornoodle, uh out of the Mid-Atlantic Territory. He's going to become a star there when he goes back home, and uh, he's going to face another young star, Bill Ash. In the second match, David Schultz, who uh, everybody around the country knows is the, for the slap heard around the world is going to be wrestling Jerry Stubbs, who a lot of fans know is going to become someday Mr. Olympia. So, you know, I mean, there's four guys right there in the first two matches that are going places. Yeah. Third match was the match fans had really been waiting for since Ron Wright got burned two months earlier. Ron Wright's going to get his hands finally on the great Mephisto the guy that burned him. The fourth match, also a big one for fans, is going to be the first time Tora Tanaka is going to be in the ring alone against his former manager, General Homer O'Dell. The fifth match was something I'm pretty sure had never, ever been done before. Most wrestling companies, obviously, around the country and around the world, they had their loser leave matches, but this match was going to be just the opposite. This match is going to be a winner-returns match instead of a loser-leaves match. Uh, And it's Robert Fuller and Don Carson. They had had a loser-leave match in Southeastern on July 23rd, 1976. Robert lost, and he had not returned since that match. Now, Don Carson and I wrestled a couple of weeks before this date that we're talking about in a loser-leave town match, and Don Carson lost. It was on September 24th, 1976. But then he returns two weeks later under a mask and he's calling himself Mr. Knoxville. <laughs> so, you know, and you we laughed about this last week, you know. I mean, and you know, Don and he makes no attempt to hide who he is. He's still got his black glove on, he's got it on the same hand. He does he's he looks like Don Carson, he's just got a mask on. You know, so uh, so, you know, now the Southeastern officials, you know, obviously they're going to get very upset with this because, uh, you know, this is pretty much a blatant attempt to return almost immediately. Don't even wait hardly two weeks following his loss in the Loser leave Town match, and he's going to come back. And to make matters worse, he's going to call himself Mr. Knoxville. So <laughs> uh, not only were the officials upset, but the fans were extremely upset with this as well, you know. and uh, And they had good reason to be. So um so I had to do something to make the company look as though they you know they were they were doing something about it they were going to do something about this fact. So Southeastern did, you know. So for the first time and I think like I said a minute ago in history anywhere there was a winner returns match between Robert Fuller and Don Carson, alias Mr. Knoxville as called. Right. It. The winner of that match is going to win the right to immediately return to Southeastern. Even though he lost a loser leave, he can come back immediately. And the loser of that match is going to be banned from Southeastern from wrestling in Southeastern for at least one year.
0: Whoa! <laughs> well, all right, Ryan. So instead of a loser leave Southeastern, this match was a winner returns to Southeastern and the loser was banned from wrestling there, at least in that market for an entire year. Yeah. Crazy. Huh? I mean, yeah, I come. Nobody had ever thought of this before. I'm thinking, you know,
1: <laughs> you, know? It was, it was, uh, you know, because you uh, know, because people hated to see the fact Rob lost the first one, and uh, you know, they hate to see the baby face leave. But right. they're all happy about seeing the heel leave. But when the heel leaves, and then he sneaks back in, wears a mask, and calls him something else, you know, obviously that's going to be a problem. So yeah. we've got that match on this card too. So uh, the sixth match featured the return of the Southeastern Tag Champions, the Von Steiger brothers. They had been gone, disappeared after the match on Friday night, August 20th, 1976. And they'd been gone for almost two months. They were the champions. They took the belts and they were just disappeared. So now they're back on this championship card. They're going to be defending against the same team that they wrestled the last night they were there. And that's Jimmy Golden and Mike Stallings. The seventh match on this card is the new Southeastern champion, Ronnie Garvin, at fist of stone himself, managed by General Homer O'Dell, and he's going to be defending against the former champion, the gladiator Dick Steinborn, that he just won the title from about two weeks earlier. The main event, obviously, is the NWA World Championship between Terry Funk and myself. It's the first Southeastern card with eight matches on it, uh, and you don't see cards that have many more than eight matches on them anywhere
0: in the country. And, uh, we loaded them up for this one. Oh, no doubt. This is an incredible lineup. Okay. So what's next?
1: So let's start with something that I had to decide upon long before this day of the match and way in advance. And, and that was the ticket prices for this event because it, I knew it was going to be a special event. Coliseum ticket prices were always a dollar more than the, Chilhowee Park events. That's the way it always been since we started going to the Coliseum every once in a while. And the way the Coliseum was built was much different than the Jacobs Building at Chilhowee Park. Obviously, Coliseum's significantly larger. But the Coliseum had all permanent seats above the floor level. Where your ring was, they didn't have any permanent seats at all on the floor level. But all the seats from there on up in that building were permanent seats. So this created, obviously, a giant grandstand in this building, and it had two distinct levels in this grandstand up there. So, you know, at the very top of the building was the general mission seats, and it was called the second balcony. And that same general mission level at the park, you could buy the ticket for $3 if you were an adult or $2 for a child. In the Coliseum, that price is going to be a dollar more. It's going to be $4 for adults and $3 for children. The other Coliseum permanent seating was down below this second balcony and closer to the floor level. In fact, it was right above the floor level. These seats were called the first balcony seats. They were priced at $5 per seat, and uh, that's whether you were children, whether it was a child or an adult, everybody paid $5 to sit. This seat was called the first balcony in that area, and uh, this type of seat wasn't obviously available at all at Chiloha Park. Mm-hmm. The main floor of the Coliseum was entirely for ringsiders only. All of those seats were six dollars per ticket. Two more than what it was normally at the park for ringside. Now I had six rows of ringside at each of four sections. There's a big expansive area down there. It's a it's a you know, it's big enough, it's a hockey rink in there, you know. And so it's big, huge area. I could have done more with it, but I have six rows of ringside around the ring which I think hopefully is going to be enough. And uh, so, uh, you know, there was a lot of unused area, but it it didn't bother me because I felt like, you know, we'd be lucky if we could sell out those six rows of ringside. So then I came up with this other idea. You know, I said, uh, you know, the first row ought to be something special. There there ought to be something connected with being able to sit in the first row of a, a world championship event. I called the first row, the golden circle for this event. And I charged $10 per ticket to get into the first row. Now, I didn't know for sure whether, you know, I could, I could get this type of money, you know, but I felt like this is a big event and, uh, you know, I'm going to find out. And they were the first seats sold. Wow! <laughs> I mean, they were uh, they, when they opened the box office a week before the matches, that was the first seats bought was the first
0: row but other than them being on the front row, what was special, what made them the golden circle?
1: That's just my name for it. I mean, <laughs> you've got to have a name for something. If you're going to charge a little extra money. So I said, uh, you know, I said, Hey, I got to come up with something. So I called it the golden circle because right. basically it is a circle around the ring. So, you know, it fit pretty well. And, uh, so I'm going to have another world championship event in April of 1977, which is mm-hmm. going to be about six months after this. And, uh, Harley race is going to be the champion. When I have this one, I'm going to take this golden circle idea and I'm going to expand upon it. I'm going to make the golden circle, the first three rows of ringside, and I'm going to double the price to $20 a ticket. Wow. Okay. And again, the golden circle is going to be the first ticket sold. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, and what happens is the territories around the country are going to hear about this, and they're going to go, "Wow, we're going to do that too." So, so that becomes a deal in a whole lot of territories
0: after we begin this process in 1976. Well, some somehow I'm not surprised by this. Did your peers start calling you PT Barnum? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that's pretty I, awesome, Rod. Right? I mean. I, I'm, I'm sure when they heard that, heard that they <laughs> sold first, that they probably did go. Geez, man, uh, you
0: know what kind of circus is he running over there? You yeah, <laughs> and, and they 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 probably wondered if you actually sold those tickets out. But how many total seats were available in the Coliseum? Not well, I guess, including those golden circle seats. And and how many fans were you? Exp- what, what were you looking for as far as the crowd went?
1: Well, the Coliseum held over five thousand people. You know, and uh, and and it's going to hold a lot more than that. Before, by the time we get to this April event, that's uh, going to record out. I mean, we're going to smash smash all the records ever. But you know, they didn't have any idea the five thousand seats. Uh, you know, but I didn't know how, have any idea what to expect. I mean, this is the biggest card we'd ever had. But they'd never seen that kind of card in Knoxville before, and or nor were there as many stars it was on this card. So you know, I, I couldn't fathom a guess. It's kind of like owning a hockey team in Nashville and they asked me what do you think you're going to draw and I I just said I don't know we'll find out first night you know I mean
0: right yeah
1: uh, that's the only way you're going to know is you're going to see what happens so you know I didn't
0: even know what to expect but I knew that there were at least 5,000 seats in there so to kind of reset the stage we're talking Sunday afternoon and you're ready to go so Saturday not even maybe 24 hours before there was a TV show for that day that was going to be promoting this event. So I'm assuming everything were, th- that was obviously very well planned. The TV show was on Saturday. What? At about noontime. Yeah. TV show
1: showed at two o'clock. It aired at two o'clock in the afternoon. was over at three okay. o'clock. The Coliseum event is going to start at three o'clock the following day.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: So it's been 24 hours exactly from the time the TV show ends. They're going to be ringing the bell.
0: <laughs> wow. There's a little bit of planning to that. So that's, listen, that's an awesome job up to this point. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I had to sit down and figure out, you know, Hey, I, I want to take, get full advantage of this Saturday afternoon. And um, w- 24 hours later, man, the, the event is there. It worked out really well.
0: Yeah. I, w- I was going to say, so tell, tell me about the TV event because up to now you've just done an incredible job and Terry Funk as well. Lead, just, building the excitement for this one match, but there were so many things swirling around this one match.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot involved in this world championship match. That's for sure. And there's a great card uh, underneath that too. And uh, that's always a big plus when you're trying to run, run a big show. So let's see what's in store for people on that Saturday afternoon, uh, two o'clock in the afternoon, uh, just one day before the world championship match. And just like the Coliseum card, this TV obviously had it all because there's wrestlers in town. There are a lot of people that uh, wouldn't normally be there that's going to be on this show that I'm going to be able to pop right on TV. So it opens up with Les and that close-up, the normal shot with Les in the close-up. They run, He's running down the lineup on the day show, and it's basically a who's who of wrestling in that day. I mean, it's really got a lot of stars in it. And this TV had a long absent Southeastern tag team champions, the Von Steiger brothers, returning on this show. Uh, They hadn't defended the belts in six weeks. They had disappeared on August the 20th, like I said earlier, and uh, they're going to be wrestling on this show. Mr. Knoxville, Don Carson, that's who everybody knows he is, and Robert Fuller are both going to be interviewing on this show. Homer O'Dell is going to wrestle on TV for the first time ever. And he's going to go up against Tanaka, obviously, the following afternoon. Ron Wright's going to be in action again on this show. And both he and his opponent, Mephisto, are going to interview on this show and talk about their match, which uh, is going to be in in 24 hours. And uh, and then you got the fast-rising star, Ronnie Garvin, who's going to close this one out. And uh, and both men, uh, you know, he's going to be having an interview, and so is the gladiator. Uh, they're both going to be meeting the next day. Uh, newcomers, David Schultz and Bill Ash, they're going to be heard from. <laughs> they're going to have an interview in this program, which is the first time they've been on in an interview. And finally, obviously, Terry Funk and I are both going to have an interview. That's going to be after I return from Amarillo against Doy Funk Jr. the night before. You know, <laughs> I was wrestling in Amarillo the night before this TV. And I still managed to not get beat by Dory Jr. We, we both get disqualified. There is no winner, basically, in that match. But I still remain undefeated, and I'm at more than 100 straight matches now without a loss.
0: Wait a minute. 100 straight matches, and you feel like you deserve a shot at the championship. Come on.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It
0: should have been 200, maybe. that's That's what Terry was thinking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. But listen, that, that had to be pretty nerve wracking because the TV show is 60 minutes long. And it sounds like you've got an all-star lineup for this TV show. You had to be pretty nervous, just trying to fit everything in. So everything gets plugged for the big event that's happening just 24 hours away.
1: Right. I mean, yeah, this is, this is a pretty big deal to put together a TV show like this. you know, a lot of thought and a lot of preparation goes into it, obviously. And uh, Les lesson I had been working on it, basically, for the entire week. But to make matters worse, we had a critical situation here. I was going to be in Amarillo the day and the night before the TV, and there was a real good possibility that I wasn't going to be able to make it back to Knoxville in time to be on that TV, to even talk about my world championship match. So that meant we had to put together an alternate show in case that I, my plane was late coming back from Amarillo that uh, we had somebody to slide into my slot and, uh, and we would have nothing from Terry Funk. We had nothing coming from Terry Funk. So while I'm out there and Amarillo wrestling Dory Jr., I'm able to get an interview because luckily Terry's not wrestling that night and he's at home in Amarillo. But the problem was I'm going to leave Amarillo on Saturday morning at six o'clock Amarillo time. And I'm going to arrive hopefully in Knoxville by 1130 Eastern time. The TV show normally starts at 12 o'clock sharp. We start recording the show at 12 and at two it airs. So, you know, there's no playtime here. I mean, you know, that's this is a real tricky situation. So, So there's a great deal, obviously, of a coordination necessary to to even have a chance to get me on the show. So we had to back up the usual starting time. That's not talked about it. And they said, well, let's back up the time we start to record from usually 12 to 1 o'clock. And that would give me a little bit more time in case the plane is late. And so that meant for the first time ever, we're going to be starting to air the beginning of the show. Now, you got to think about this. We record the show, so it takes an hour to record the show. We'll actually be starting to show the show that we are taping before the show finishes. <laughs> it's a There's a lot going on here with just the television situation. And then the bad part of this is if I didn't get back home in time, there's going to be no interview from either Terry Funk or I on the TV show at all. Right. So one day before the match, This would be disastrous for the ticket sales the next day. If that were to happen, you can imagine. Yeah. Thankfully, the flights were on time, and I arrived at the studio at noon, and we began supporting the show at 1230, only about a half hour
0: late from the normal time we started. That is, it really is a tremendous amount of pressure on you, Ron, and potential loss of money. Not only that, but you are going to be in the ring wrestling (laughs) for the world championship just over 24 hours later.
1: Yeah. Great point. (laughs) I mean, uh, do you think about that day of Friday? I'm flying to Amarillo. I'm going to wrestle Dory Funk Jr. Friday night. Then I'm going to fly back the next morning. And, uh, you know, it says everything about what it was like to be a wrestler, a promoter, and an owner all at the same time. (laughs) And
0: On a side note, I'm curious. How often did wrestlers fly? It sounds like you were a pretty active flyer from one big city to another for a big match. So how often did that take place?
1: Well, you know, there were a lot of territories back in those days and uh, guys didn't fly, but uh, I was pretty accustomed to flying in 1973 and 74. When I was working in Florida, we drove almost everywhere, but we would fly in private planes sometimes Mm -hmm. uh, because the trips were fairly long. But I was wrestling pretty regularly in St. Louis, so I had to fly. So I was accustomed to flying. I'd fly into St. Louis. I'd wrestle there on Friday night to stay there till Sunday, wrestle on TV, fly back into West Palm. Uh, it was a normal procedure for me to fly. Uh, the problem here was the time frame and how important it was to get back home in time.
0: Yeah, that, that that's pretty interesting that, that you kind of had that added pressure. At the same time that you were, you were getting ready for this kind of the match of your lifetime at that point. All right. So you did make it back in time, right? That's correct.
1: I got back in time and, uh, you know, just, just luckily and, uh, rushed from the airport, uh, straight to the television.
0: All right. I think we're at a good spot. Let's take a break right here before we start talking about the TV show. We'll take a break and this studcast will continue in a moment. Don't go away. Fans around the world have raved about Super Studcast number 33, the Bullet Bob Armstrong tribute. It may be the longest tribute ever, done at more than four hours. Every minute is fantastic, as Terry Funk, Jerry Briscoe, Jim Cornette, Stan Hansen, Dutch Mantel, Kevin Sullivan, Jody Hamilton, the Assassin, and Charlie Platt, former Southeastern wrestling TV commentator and one of Bob's best friends, tell how they feel about him at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. The Great One. Bob Armstrong will never be forgotten. All the more reason to hear for yourself how other stars felt about him. Don't let his memory fade without hearing this tremendous tribute at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Only $2.99 for more than four remarkable hours of history. All right, everybody, welcome back in another studcast. David Summers hosting along with the Tennessee Stud. Ron Fuller. And remember, tnstud.com. That's tnstud.com. So much to see, so much to do. Every studcast ever is available right there. Plus, the super studcast as well. And at tnstud.com, you can also find the t shirts, the pictures. There's a lot to do and a lot to see. So check it out. All right. So I think it's time to find out just how much good stuff was on the TV show before the big event only 24 hours away from the match and an afternoon of a lifetime run. Set us up.
1: All right, my man. Uh, I think you already set us up, man. So we're going to go back to where we talked about just a little bit earlier, where Les was opening the show and giving the fans an idea of what they were going to see on this show. And when the cameras backed away for the still shot of the dates, what we call that first shot where those fans get to see that big picture uh, behind the entire set, uh, there was Terry Funk with the NWA 10 pounds of gold world championship belt draped over his shoulder in Amarillo, Texas, recorded the night before. So this was the interview he made right after Dory Jr. and I had both been disqualified in the match in Amarillo, and uh, he just watched that match. So luckily, like I said earlier, it was his day off, and uh, and he showed up for the down at the arena. He watched the match, and he cut the promo after the match. So I'm going to try to do this as best I can remember the interview, how it went. And uh, some of it will be proper and probably pretty close, and some of it may not. But uh, I remember he started off congratulating me for making it through all the bounty matches, the three matches that I had with his brother, and over 100 straight matches without a loss. (laughs) He'd also... I was like amazed when I when I heard that part of it. And then he said something about now it was time for me to face the music and the man. <laughs> I don't know, man. He's thinking about Nashville, I think, you know, rather than Knoxville with the music <laughs> music idea. But uh, you know, he says something about a little more than twenty four hours from the time all of you hillbillies out there see this, you're gonna see the greatest wrestler on earth. And you're going to get your ignorant questions answered about whether Ron Fuller, a <laughs> Tennessean, is man enough to win the world title from a Texan.
0: Right. And, uh, <laughs>
1: and then he says, uh, the, the answer answer's simple. He goes, Ron Fuller is going to get hurt real bad tomorrow afternoon. And he goes, uh, then all you rednecks are going to go back to your run-down shacks and your pitiful lives and realize just how horrible it is that you live in that loser hog pen part of America. <laughs> it was like, he was cranked, man. <laughs> so then he goes on, that ain't enough. So he says, I'll be bringing this beautiful belt with me tomorrow afternoon. And more importantly, I'm going to be leaving with it when I go too. He goes, I'll be on the first plane out of there. <laughs> he says, then Junior and I can say good riddance to all you hillbillies, <laughs> hog farmers, <laughs> and people straight out of the movie Deliverance. <laughs> man. Uh, <laughs> he had it rolling. So he says, uh, all I demand, he says, of you, of you people is to show me respect tomorrow that I deserve when I come to the ring. And he goes, I want everybody on their feet, and I want you cheering for the greatest NWA champion of all time. Well, oh, boy, the studio crowd, I mean, they erupted in <laughs> booze. <laughs> it was like, wow, what is he serious, right? So I, I would have the chance, obviously, later in the program and the personality profile to answer it. This little interview that began the program, the program opens up with Terry Funk, and he's just running down the Southeastern fans. So Les threw it to the ring, and uh, the first match of the television is the Southeastern champions, Kurt and Carl von Steiger. And uh, obviously, they got themselves a good win. And uh, then they came back to the set with Les for the interview, uh, the first interview of the show. Jimmy Golan, Mike Stallings, they're in Studio B with Phil Rainey. So Les opens up with a question for them, or, You know, which was an obvious one. Where you two guys been for the last six weeks, you know? And they told him right off the bat, it's none of your business. But the important thing was that they were back and they were ready to take up where they left off with Golden and Stallings. So that tomorrow afternoon, they said something about they were going to do what they hadn't done to Golden and Stallings before. They were going to hurt those boys. And they was going to finally get rid of them as challengers for their belts. And then we switched the camera, obviously, to Studio B with uh, Phil Rainey and Golden and Stallings, and they promised the fans that they were going to make them happy tomorrow for sure, and at least one of the three big championship matches on that card that they were going to leave the ring as tag team champions. Uh, and, and so this second studio set was it was all it was a very effective way to interview both competitors at once because you could have them in separate studios. And they could hear each other, and they could answer each other immediately. And, uh, you know, obviously, they were heard by the studio crowd at the same time. Obviously, the crowd booed the heck out of the Von Steigers moments earlier, and then they erupted in cheers for Golden and Stallings. It made for a good piece in the program, a good part of the program. Then this entire show is going to be full of interviews like this that are going to be done uh, during the entire program. And uh, some of the great matches, they'll all be talking about the great matches of the following day. Second match on TV is going to surprise the heck out of the fans. General Homer O'Dell shows up in wrestling tights, which ain't a pretty sight, and he gets his first (laughs) match. (laughs) It's it's, his arrival at Southeastern. And he goes out there, and I mean he just throttles this young guy that he's wrestling. And he cheats in every way he possibly can. And, you know, he just... And he wins in a pretty short period of time. So then he goes to the set with Les, and he's joined by David Schultz and Bill Ash. Les starts out with Homer, and he asks Homer the obvious question because Homer's wrestling against Tor Tanaka the next day. He he asks him, uh, just what chance do you think you have, Homer, against Tanaka by yourself? (laughs) And, uh, you know, good question. But David Schultz is standing behind Homer, and he just tears into Thatcher. He go. He, start, he interrupts him right away, Thatcher, right away. And he even interrupts Homer's answer. And he, he says to Les, he goes, oh, what kind of a smart-ass Thatcher are you to ask a star like him such a stupid <laughs> question? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Les got mad. <laughs> His face turned bright red like he did when he got angry. And he started to fire back, but David was right on top of him, man. And he cut him off again. And David was standing by Homer. He kind of bent over Homer and he was almost over Les's shoulder, right on top of him. And he asked, How long has it been since you've had guts enough to get in the ring? Like Homer's gonna do tomorrow with Tanaka. <laughs> you know. So, you know, then Les was like, Hey, but he was kind of stunned. And then Schultz just kept going. He goes, Why aren't you on the card, Thatcher? You know? It's a big card. Why aren't you there? You know? And and then he goes Maybe it's because you're a has-been. Is that it, Les? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so Les just jumps up. He just, just jumps straight up from the desk, man. He's like, going to tear in your And the studio crowd got into it, man. They popped like, wow, get him, Les. <laughs> so Homer had to stand up and get between Les and Schultz. And the Schultz didn't stop. He kept going. He reached over and tried to grab Les's hair and Les kind of ducked away and then Schultz screamed at him. Why don't you wrestle me tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you give me the opportunity to get a win over an old man like you? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so Phil Rainey shows up at the set and he's trying to control Les. He's trying to get Les to sit down and, uh, and Homer's kind of pushing Les back and, uh, so you know, Les shouted something to Schultz, like, okay, you want to find out how good you are? He goes, I'll wrestle you tomorrow. I'll get the Southeastern officials to make that happen. They'll do it for me. Schultz, you know, he's he's now being held back by Homer and, and Bill Ash both. And he shouts back at Les. He says, good old man. He said... I'm going to whip your butt tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so Homer and Ash, man, they finally forced Schultz to leave the set. They kind of drug him out of there. And Phil Rainey did his best to calm Les down. And he closed out the interview. So Les is on the phone. When they close it out, Phil's, Phil's saying, ladies and gentlemen, sorry about what happened. And Les has already picked up the little telephone on his desk. And he's dialing the officials upstairs. I Put me on that card. Right. So the match gets added to the card, obviously.
0: Wow. Hey, all right. A side note again, David Schultz. How long had Schultz been around? This sounds exactly like the David Schultz we all came to know and love somewhat over the years. Yeah.
1: Oh, he's he's young. He's young. He's been wrestling maybe six months. You know, he, this is maybe one of the first times he's ever gone on a set to do an interview. Wow. And it's just like to expect that out of David. I mean, he's... He, he He did that his entire career, obviously, and he's going to really take it over the top when he slaps John Stossel. yeah oh,
0: <laughs> so no you God. never
1: knew what to expect out of David when you sent him to the set. H-
0: had you seen him perform like that before?
1: I'd never seen him do anything like that, and you know, and I wasn't expecting it, and neither was Thatcher. That's why Les got so mad. You know <laughs> you don't change Les's deal on him without letting him know, you know, and right. Uh, right. this all that came out of the be blue. heat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and and Schultz loved it. You could tell he was liking it, the, red, the redder, the less his face got. The madder he got, the more Schultz dug him, man, the deeper he dug him. So it was good. Hell of yeah. a spontaneous spot that just
0: added to the show. A real reaction, absolutely. All right, so it sounds like all of this pressure of the big day was getting to everybody. I guess the personality profile was up next, was it? Yep. Yep. It sure was. And the
1: pressure was being felt by everybody. You're correct about that. I mean, you got a big event. It's always that way when you have big cards and uh, guys that are on those cards, uh, when they're doing interviews for it, they're already thinking about how big the crowd's going to be and they're getting fired up. So I was live on the personality profile next. uh, And it was only two minutes after this little altercation and uh les come sit down on the set with me but he was still upset you know so, so i was kind of smiling oh les come on back. calm down man so, so we were obviously live in the uh, studio b and the studio audience is just right there they weren't far away from us and obviously they could see us as well as hears. i got less a little more calmed down and uh by making the comment to him about uh You know, unless you, you can put that punk in his place tomorrow, man. (laughs) So, so, you know, and then that kind of Les kind of laughed a little bit. (laughs) Like, well, yeah, I guess, baby. You know, I'm getting a little talk carried away here. So we had a little laugh and it broke the ice before we started this personality profile. So Les asked me a lot of great questions in this profile. He asked me to describe what the last 24 hours of my life had been like for the fans out there that didn't know where I was last night. Mm-hmm. So we talked about obviously that very important plane ride to Amarillo, uh, the long flight out there, and uh, my my ability to survive the third match with Dory Funk Jr. since all this started when when Terry put out the bounty and everything, and uh, and uh, without losing. I, you know, and I actually beat Dory Jr. in one of those matches, and I didn't lose to him in any of the three. So after getting up early, I, I explained to him uh, this very morning after being in bed only four hours the night before. I say, You know, I was only slept four hours last night. I got up at four o'clock in the morning. I was at the airport and on a plane at 6 a.m. And we talked about this pressure and the stress of flying uh, and maybe not being able to make it back here. You know, because I had the interview for Terry Funk that was going to be opening the show. But if something happened with the flight, planes late, whatever it would be, then we'd have to go to the alternate show and there wouldn't even be that interview on there. Mm. So we talked about the pressure of all that and about being trying to make it back to the show on time. We talked briefly about the struggles that I had for the past three months to stay undefeated, not to lose to some great opponents that I had wrestled during that time frame. Guys were trying to beat me or hurt me, and uh, they'd get that money from Terry Funk. So we ended with the fact that I'd won more than 100 matches in the last 115 days without a loss. We talked about the next 24 hours. We talked about the last 24 hours. We talked about the next 24 hours and what I plan to do in the next 24 hours to get ready for these three months of looking forward to it and what it would mean if I could win the NWA World Championship. Because I was a member of the oldest and largest wrestling family on the planet, this is a big deal. This match is a big deal, man. I can I can put my family in the history books. So I finished the profile talking about what a win would mean, and not only for my family, but for the great fans in Southeastern, which was, and I think I said on TV, the fastest-growing wrestling company in the world. Which was true at that time. I thanked everybody out there for how graciously they had been in accepting me after I arrived there two years ago as an arrogant punk as a heel, you know. So they had really, you know, they had really accepted me after you know I started off there as a real punk in nineteen seventy four, and now I'm a baby face, and uh, and it's a whole different situation. Well, I talked about how that part of the country had become my home in two short years, and uh, it was because of the people in that part of the country were just the best on earth, I think I said, something like that. You know, they were just wonderful people. I said, tomorrow afternoon, it was going to be the most important wrestling match of my life, and I owed it to the great fans that had got me to this point to walk out of that ring with the 10 pounds of gold. Les closed her out, wished me luck, and what he agreed was the biggest match of my career. I got a big ovation from the studio audience. I left the station. I grabbed some lunch on the way home. I went to bed at 6 o'clock that night, and I didn't get up for 14 hours until 10 o'clock the next day.
0: Wow. Are you kidding? You slept that
1: many hours? Uh, well, as best I could. I mean, you can't really, really sleep when you got some day like that ahead of you. Yeah. But, you know, I did my best to stay down, uh, you know, and try to sleep and rest i got plenty of rest i
0: felt good about what was going to happen the next day i'm pretty sure there was some tossing and turning but at least the body got some rest but is your body really resting when your mind is racing
1: oh no i mean you know it's uh, you you're kind of up but you're not up you're at least uh, laying prone and that's what i tried to do i slept some i rolled some uh, but, uh, I, I, was in that bed for 14
0: hours and I, that was my goal is to stay there and get the rest. In- interesting. And uh, I'm certain you need it. All right. So we should be ready for the third segment of the TV show, right?
1: Uh, that's it. You're right on it, my man. So, uh, Ron Wright, he's on the, in the third match and, uh, he goes out and obviously he does the Ron Wright deal and he gets his second win in a row on TV and his second win in two weeks. And then he went to the set with Les for the next interview. And the great Mephisto was in Studio B again with Phil Rainey, as we'd been doing for the earlier interviews. Ron Wright talked about how he felt, how it felt to Les uh, to have your face on fire because <laughs> he'd been there. right? And, you know, and, and then he talked to Les about, you know, how long it took him to heal. You know, for his face to get back right again. And, and you know, he even lost a little bit of his eyesight, which was coming back. But, uh, you know, and how many matches he had lost and how much money he had lost because he couldn't do what he was trained to do. You know, and how and he had become famous for Tennessee dog whooping, but <laughs> never had anyone needed a good old Tennessee dog whooping. I think he said more than that stinking Arab yeah. burned not only me but Bob Armstrong twice. <laughs> so he said, tomorrow he promised fans, I'm going to give that boy Tennessee dog whooping like I ain't never seen in Knoxville. So oh so now Mephisto, he's over there ready. And he, he <laughs> I think he fired up Mephisto a little bit. Um, he didn't even give Rainey a chance to introduce him. You know, he seemed to gotten angry just listening to Ron Wright. So he broke right into it. You know, and he bragged about saving, his best fire for the bigger crowds of infidels, basically it's going to be a big crowd, and I'm saved my best fire for these for all these people He said tomorrow he's he's going to make one of those big crowds he's going to he's going to be one of those big crowds that deserve to smell burning flesh, <laughs> and what infidel flesh I think he said something toward the end could smell better burning than a hillbilly pig like Ron Reigns. <laughs> 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 Somebody. It was it was a nasty interview, boy. <laughs> it, was, it was like, oh, I'm 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 like, oh, that's gonna hurt. So, so the last segment opens up with Les and Mr. Knoxville. So Les described the first ever Southeastern winner returns match that's going to take place the following day, how it's gonna work, what it's all about, how Southeastern officials had realized. That Robert Fuller, immediately after his loss in a loser-leave town match to Don Carson, had stayed gone for three months now and had not returned, and how Robert had honored his contract, and then Les turned to Mister Knoxville and he said, "You know, when Don Carson lost the loser-leave town match three weeks ago to Ron Fuller, he almost immediately returned as a masked man. You." Mr. Knoxville. <laughs> so he didn't say as, as me, he, he basically just flat out says as, as you Don Carson. So, so Mr. Knoxville, he interrupted him immediately. He protested right away. You know, I am not Don Carson, you know, so let's quiet him down. And he, he continued on. He says, although there's no absolute proof that Mr. Knoxville is indeed Don Carson. He goes, there's enough similarity between the two of you <laughs> between Don Carson and Mr. Knoxville that mm-hmm. for the Southeastern officials to want to do something that's never been done before. So he explained, they were going to bring back two stars that had both lost loser leave town matches, pit them against each other and allow the winner to automatically return to Southeastern. And the winner would immediately be back home. And the loser is going to leave Southeastern as a wrestler for at least a year. So Carson exploded, man, and so did the audience. The audience roared and cheered, and Carson exploded screaming. They were ecstatic, and he was incensed. He demanded to know who was calling him Don Carson. Who says I'm Don Carson? He said, they don't even look nor talk like Don Carson. I don't even look like him. I don't talk like him. So Les asked him why he was wearing the same type glove that Carson wore on the same hand. Carson wore his glove, and why is your body almost identical to his? Because the Carson screamed, "It's pure coincidence." <laughs> so he is about to go on, but Les stopped. <laughs> he called for the director to run the interview sent to him by Rob. Rob had sent an interview in from Memphis, where he had been wrestling. Rob thanked the Southeastern officials in his part of this interview for the chance to come home. He couldn't wait to get another chance at Don Carson, Mr. Knoxville, or whatever Carson was calling himself. He would be there tomorrow, and Carson would definitely be gone as a wrestler from Southeastern as of tomorrow night. Fans exploded. They loved it. Uh, Carson exploded, too. He wanted to have his say, and Les just said, I'm sorry, Don, we're out of time. And (laughs) boom, he cut him off. So, last match was another of those horrific wins by Ronnie Garvin. Again, Ronnie jumped off the top rope on still another young kid, man, and that didn't have a prayer, man, during the match. I mean, nobody's been able to even knock Garvin down hardly, much less do anything to him. So, another guy got carried from the ring as Homer and Garvin are watching from the set. They go to the set, and then and they watch... You know, the cameras get the guy carried being carried out, and they're sitting there watching it. So the gladiator Dick Steinborn's in Studio B, and he's there with Tora Tanaka, with Phil Rainey. So Les starts out with Homer, kind of like he did before when it all went to hell and that Schultz got involved, <laughs> you know. So he started with him, how the match tomorrow was between uh, his new Southeastern champion, Fist of Stone here, they call him Ronnie Garvin, against the Gladiator, who he had beaten two weeks earlier to win the championship. And Homer took off saying absolutely no one could stand up to his man, that there had already carried the Gladiator out of the building two weeks ago when he lost the belt to his man, and that that was the same thing that was going to happen again tomorrow. So we're close to the end of the show. The Gladiator predicted otherwise, obviously. And then Tor Tanaka finished the show. And uh, he had a he had set him set him up to he had three of those four inch thick concrete blocks he had two of them standing up on end he put the one across the but on top of them he he had a big grin on his face and he 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 said Homa Homa he could <laughs> you know he couldn't say he could understand nothing he said but he got it pretty good it was a Homa Homa. And then he dropped down on his knees and he busted his forehead through that concrete block. That oh. block shattered, went oh. flying across the floor. <laughs> and and he got up. He still had the big grin on his face and he said, Oma, tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> so that was it. That was the way we ended the program.
0: So the message was there all though it was very subtle, right?
1: Yeah, 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 very <laughs> subtle concrete block breaking, subtle.
0: <laughs> yeah, all right, you're right, that's a tremendous TV show just 24 hours away from the big day. So, I guess we are ready for that big day, October 10th, 1976.
1: Yep, and, and what we're going to do here is uh, I want to give the results of the card, okay, most of it. Don Cernoodle, he won the first match over Bill Ash in that show, Les Thatcher who had been challenged by David Schultz, they had a 20-minute time limit draw. Hell of a match. Fans really loved Les, you know, and they didn't get to see him wrestle very much. Schultz was great heat for a young heel. You could just tell this guy was going places. So they have a 20-minute time limit draw. The great Mephisto beat Ron Reich, Tore Tanaka, obviously, won over Homer O'Dell, which was pretty darn easy. Then Robert Fuller, came in and won this Winter Returns Southeastern match against Don Carson or Mr. Knoxville, whatever you want to call it. When the match was over, Carson still had the hood on as Mr. Knoxville, and Robert grabbed him and tied him in the ropes, and he took his hood off to prove that Mr. Knoxville was Don Carson.
0: Wait, and it really was Don Carson?
1: <laughs> and it really was Don Carson. I'll be darned. You know, right? <laughs> yeah, you can't imagine Don doing something as crooked as yeah, that. Yeah, really. And so Don leaves. Don's gone. Uh, he, that's it. You know, he's not able to wrestle in Knoxville for a year according to the rules of this match. Mm-hmm. And Rob's back home. So Jimmy Golan, Mike Stallings, they won the first of the three championship matches. They took the Southeastern Championship from the Von Steigers brothers. It was the Von Steiger brothers' first loss in Southeastern since mm-hmm. they'd been there. They come back to Southeastern, and they lose in their very first try against Stallings and Golden. Uh, Ronnie Garvin retained his Southeastern championship. He won by disqualification over the Gladiator. Now, Dave, I don't know what we are time-wise, but, uh, you know, if if we're running a little short, I've got a couple other things I want to talk about, and then I want to talk about the, the World Championship match last, okay? We can do that, all right? Okay. So I had a very special surprise for fans that day. You know, and we've talked some about this Cadillac that that I went and bought, uh, and I bought one for me, and I bought one for a Cadillac tournament. That Cadillac I had, and it, it had been sitting at the dealership for a month, so I had them bring it over to the Coliseum that day. And on this big afternoon with this huge crowd, it was a perfect time to introduce that and the future of Southeastern Wrestling. So about halfway through the card, a couple of matches after Les had already wrestled and had a chance to put his clothes back on, uh, I sent him to the ring to make a special announcement. And uh, then we did something that day that was just not done back in those days at all, and you know may have been a first time anything like that had happened either. We turned out all the lights in the building. Uh, obviously, the building went dark, even though it was three o'clock in the afternoon. The building went dark, and then we turned on two spotlights, and Les was in the ring, and he introduced the Cadillac, mm-hmm. and we drove that car in from the back of the building. It was hidden behind the curtain in the back of the Coliseum. We drove it. The ringside, the building's floor was so big that we could drive around behind the ringside, so we drove that car all the way around the ring behind the ringside. Wow. Real slow, you know? Yeah. And during the time it was out there, all the fans went crazy. They were like, wow. And that Cadillac, that pink Cadillac was beautiful. Four-door, big son of a gun like they were back in those days. Uh, And the fans were just screaming the entire time it was out there. And it went slowly around, and then it made its way back and went behind the curtain again. Uh, Les also explained that the tournament was going to begin in November, the next month. And it wouldn't end until February 1977, and the winner of the tournament was going to win that beautiful car. And he also informed the fans about Southeastern's upcoming winner in the Coliseum, which was going to begin on January 2, 1977, and it was going to be there every Sunday afternoon until springtime. The crowd was going crazy, like I said, when they saw the car. And, uh, you know, they'd never seen a big car tournament in Knoxville before, much less a Cadillac car. So this was a great promotion and it was the next big event that was coming for Southeastern as well as the fact that we were moving to the big time with uh, more Coliseum events.
0: Well, it seems like you never missed an opportunity. And so while the Cadillac is slowly riding around the ringside, less is talking about the the, the tournament deal. Yeah. So yeah. as that's happening in the, the spotlights, it's dark. The spotlight is following this Cadillac or, around in the arena.
1: That's all you see
0: is that's, the car
1: in that's the middle pretty of awesome. the two spotlights on it. And yeah. Les talking about <laughs> this Cadillac's going to be given away. Did big, big, huge buildup. Uh, you know, it was like, wow, it's almost like the circus again. Like we started off at the uh, first of
0: the show, you know. It also sounds like your early hockey days. That would come about only thirteen years later, because you were really and a lot of folks may not know that you were even involved in hockey, but what you did to revolutionize the sport of hockey, and you kind of took the stuffiness out and made it a lot of fun for everybody,
1: yeah, yeah, you know and and uh, this was just the first time I ever had the idea let 's darken the building, let 's put some spotlights, and they have big spotlights in all these big buildings, and you know all I had to do was go to the manager and say, "I want to have two spotlights for this." Yeah. You know, and and I want a guy that's going to darken the building, and I'll tell him how to do it. And then you had to go in in the afternoon early and sit and and practice it so that everything went like it was supposed to go. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. Then later on, yeah, thirteen years later, I'm going to get into hockey and <laughs> and uh, and I'm going to revert back to this little concept of that day. You know, of just uh, darkening the building and and using spotlights.
0: That's pretty awesome. All right, listen. What about the crowd? How how'd you do on the crowd up to that point?
1: Oh, uh, crowd was uh crowd was really good, man. You know, but you know, David. Uh, before we get to the crowd, you they all you know the old saying, you know, you got to strike while the iron's hot. Mm-hmm. You know, so you got that big, huge crowd there, and uh, there ain't nothing hotter than the iron on that day, man. <laughs> you know, no yeah, because you got yeah. them there, right. And we're not only going to strike with the iron, but we're going to strike with that beautiful Cadillac too, man. We're going to strike big at the box office as well.
0: Was this a crowd that showed up at the very beginning? Did it trickle in? What was the, what was it like as as everybody began to get ready for the big day?
1: When I came there at uh, 1230 in the afternoon, two and a half hours before starting time, there were probably... The Coliseum sold tickets on the front of it and off of the backside of it. People could come in from the front of the Coliseum or they could come in from the backside of the Coliseum into uh, where they bought the tickets. There were probably 200 people in the front of the building sitting out on the steps, waiting for them to open the doors. And then I drove around to the backside and there might have been 500 on the what it was called the patio back there. And uh, it was like, wow, there's a lot of people here already. The uh, advanced sale was good, but, uh, you know, wrestling fans weren't accustomed to there in Knoxville having advanced sale opportunity to go buy tickets early. So nobody knew how big the walk-up was going to be. The walk-up was tremendous. I mean, way, way beyond what anybody expected. One of those where you had to hold the event up. You didn't want to start before you got a lot of those people that were outside waiting to get tickets to get in. Yeah, There's three figures that were announced for this crowd. Pretty amazing, actually. The newspaper said there was 4,800 people. The Coliseum said it was closer to 5,300. I thought it was closer to 6,000. but uh, Right. <laughs> but, but my eyes were pretty big when I walked out there and looked at that <laughs> building and there wasn't any seats. And I mean, it was beyond having no seats almost. You know, the aisles were full and, and up and down in the uh, major part. The upper part of the building was massively packed. It was it was really, really big time. So the box office figure turned out to be a gross of $28,000. That figure in today's money would have been a $128,000 house. Wow. <laughs> so, That's- you know, for a young boy. You know, it was like, wow. <laughs> when they handed me, when my accountant came down and he used to do that, especially in the Coliseum shows, and he <laughs> would give me the figure on a piece of paper and he handed me the figure, I almost fainted. I was like, oh my goodness gracious, wow. Because <laughs> hey, I had yet to go out and see what it looked like. And yeah. once I yeah. went to see it, then it was really, wow, wow, look at this. So either way, it was good enough to put Southeastern on a wrestling map. Tell you that, and the size of the crowd almost created as much talk uh, as what happened in the NWA World Championship match.
0: This is just incredible. This is 1976 that we're talking about. And okay, I'm a side note, Ron, and don't take this personally. And I'm I'm glad you're in another town. You can't come after me. Have you ever, at any point, covered your body in honey and rolled in one dollar bills? No, no, <laughs> no, I
1: haven't. No, I haven't. <laughs> No, I haven't, but I felt like I could have done it that day. You
0: know? I, bet. Uh, I bet. All right. Listen, this has been awesome. This has been absolutely amazing. This a description of the day that we're not going to be able to finish with this episode today. I hope that's okay with you because next week, I mean, it seems like the bell's going to ring and it's, it's a thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and I was kind of afraid, you know, that we were going to run a little short on time because it was so much. Like I said earlier, you know, time permitting, hopefully we're going to get it all in. But of course, I, I'm not upset. I mean, you know, we traditionally here with every stud cast usually go more than an hour, and I'm sure we've gone that on this one here. And uh, and you know, I'm sure the listeners are going to forgive us for it. Uh, but but what happens on this match? on October 10th, 1976. This World Title match is pure wrestling history I, and for several reasons because of the finish and uh because of the importance of it, because of what's going to happen in the end of it and somebody's going to get carried to the hospital. You know, I don't want to leave any of that out and uh, you know, if we try to do it now, I, it wouldn't be we wouldn't be fair. So let me just say to the listeners out there listening today, if if you don't want to miss what happens, you just don't want to miss what's going to happen this world championship match in the next stud cast. It's one of those matches that became legend in Southeastern.
0: No doubt about it, and we're going to let the painter finish the painting because we are hooked at this point. Listen, for wrestling news, simply like the Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud page on Facebook, and become friends with a legend. For Brutus information, simply like the author, Ron Fuller Welch page and get the latest on his novel. It's called Brutus. He is now doing Brutus readings. And Ron, are you still doing this every Sunday night at 7 Eastern?
1: Yeah, just started this past week. We're going to do it for the next foreseeable couple of weeks for sure. And I'd like to invite fans to join me. If And I, I'm not reading, obviously, the entire book. Uh, I just right. read excerpts from the book. I pick something that I think People would like to hear, and uh, they get an idea of what this line is all about. And uh, so, yeah, I'd like to invite fans. That's 7 o'clock, and that's only on this Arthur Ron Fuller Welch site, Facebook site, is the only place you can get it. It's live. I do that live. And uh, so next Sunday night, if you'd like to hear it, it'll be 7 o'clock Eastern time, and uh, please join me.
0: Yeah, no doubt. That's a lot of fun. Sunday night, 7 Eastern, and that's on the author Ron Fuller Welch page on Facebook. On Twitter, you can find Ron Fuller Welch and keep up with what's happening there. Super Studcast number 33, the Bob Armstrong tribute is fantastic. More than four hours long, every minute filled with love and respect for one of the greatest of all time. The bullet, tnstud.com or patreon.com slash Studcast. Only two ninety nine. It's been a few weeks, and we are still talking about the incredible Bob Armstrong. That is amazing. All right. So, where are we riding next week, Ron? Other than the main event from October tenth, nineteen seventy six, that is going to be awesome.
1: Well, we're going to go back to the normal format next Studcast, uh, and we're going to have the, our today's training again. They'll have something to do with uh, this particular show this day. I have something in mind already. It's a mistake I made as an owner that uh, I'm going to have an opportunity to cure later on. And uh, that's going to be in our today's training. And then, obviously, we're going to go into this NWA World Championship match big time. Somebody's going to get hurt, like I said. And there's going to be a rare riot in the Civic Coliseum because of what happens this night in this match. Uh, We're going to end this next week's show with, obviously, the learning tree again. And that's also going to have something to do with this world title event. And, geez, uh, i got to tell you, Dave, I'm really looking forward to telling the rest of this great story. You know, I hate to have to leave it here, but I guess that we've kind of run out of time. So I want to thank everybody out there for riding with us again, as always. And uh, please take care of yourself and others, and may
0: God bless us all. Ron, you take care of yourself. God bless you, too. This is David Summers thanking you for listening and reminding you that Ron Fuller's Studcast is produced by the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Please join us again next week right here. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One,
1: two, three.
0: This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.